Again, now yesterday, Dr. Bonnie Henry announced 102 new cases of the coronavirus in B.C. Now, that is a three-day total. It includes 51 new cases on Saturday. That was the highest single-day total since April. The active COVID caseload in B.C. is the highest we have seen in months. Public health officials are warning of a possible surge in cases here. Let's check in now with Adrian Dix. He is British Columbia's Minister of Health. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Minister, thank you for coming on. Good morning, Mike. Good morning to you. Okay, and I think there's a lot of people out there worried and concerned about this trend, the new cases, the warning we heard from Dr. Henry yesterday that BC right now is on the edge, as she put it, and that explosive growth of the virus is possible. How concerned should people be and how concerned are you? I'm concerned every day. I was concerned when the number of cases were... um 10 a day, and the last three days they've been 34 a day. So uh, we're concerned. Uh, BC is in a, living in a sea of COVID-19. We had, there were 384 cases announced, I believe, yesterday in Alberta, obviously more than 1,000 in one day in Washington State. So all of that reminds us of the need to be vigilant. We've seen an increase in cases over the last week, and what's called uh, the reproduction number has gone up above one which was in our modeling yesterday. And so what we have to do, and this is a challenge because we, this virus has no, uh, no cure and no vaccine, is to dig in on the measures we know we can take to flatten the curve. In, in particular, physical distancing, staying home with your sick, washing your hands frequently, and being aware, especially in private parties, because in this particular set of, um, of uh, cases, we're seeing more people, younger people, who are going to what you call private parties, whether they're on houseboats or in resorts or in Airbnbs or in apartments. Okay, that we've seen, you've traced some of the cases, a lot of the cases to parties in the interior, right? Yeah, people who've come together there, and not uh, this is not restaurants, right? What, what happens is um, in restaurants, uh, although sometimes it's very challenging for servers, especially in restaurants, we've got to remember to be even more respectful than we would ordinarily be to them when they're trying to ensure that work safe and public health things are taken into account. But what you have sometimes is a private party where we're not, people don't know everyone who's there, Right. And so it makes it more challenging to contact trace after the fact. So it's very important if we do have uh, small gatherings to recognize who's there so we can be able to contact everyone quickly should something occur. But people coming together in private gatherings without observing physical distancing. You know, I live uh, in Collingwood, uh, Mike, in Vancouver, and we have uh, Renee and I have about an 800, 850 square foot apartment. And, and even though there's a maximum for gatherings of 50, the maximum we could safely have in our place, if we were to have a, a invite people over, would be about four. So we have to be practical because we've got to do this for quite a long time. We can't, everyone has to go out in the world more now to earn a living and do everything else. But that means we have to be more conscious, not less conscious of physical distancing. Okay, Dr. Henry yesterday used some pretty explicit language in in expressing her concern. She talked about British Columbia being on the edge, and she talked about the potential for explosive growth of the virus in her words. Can you define that or explain to British Columbians what that means and what the potential is here? Well, let's just look everywhere around us. Uh, Alberta, uh, I think it was in the neighborhood of 380 cases uh, announced yesterday, the same day we announced 102 uh, 
we have Washington State, more than 1,000 in a day. And even taking into account population, that's seven times as high as we saw um, over this weekend. So we see examples all around us. And it's easy to, you know, sometimes I think we're, uh, we, can, we can be smug about these things. Washington State has some excellent medical institutions and a commitment to fighting public of COVID-19, and yet that's happening. So the idea that it couldn't happen here is uh, is not correct. COVID-19, it doesn't barter with us. It doesn't discuss. It doesn't uh, spare us because we're good people. It's a relentless foe, and we have to be consistent and determined in our response. And I believe we've shown that. I mean, that's how we flatten the curve. We had a serology analysis last week that just showed the actions of British Columbia in stark in stark contrast to other places in the world. Well, we've got to keep going, and uh, that's our message. And we're going to have to adjust as well, uh, Mike. You know, people ask, well, are you going to pull back and do different things? Right. I-, I think we have to adjust as well. We've got to see where cases are happening, for example, private parties or houseboats, and act in those areas, maybe increase enforcement and engagement in those areas. With more people, 20 to 30, perhaps in most jurisdictions in North America now, uh, getting uh, COVID-19 more than they were. We have to look at those populations as well. A lot of our discussion in the last few months has been about long-term care and about uh, our elders and their vulnerability. But young people are affected as well. And of course, young people can pass it on to right. their elders and other vulnerable populations. You meant, you mentioned houseboats there a couple of times. With, with the government, obviously a popular summertime activity in, in places like the Okanagan and elsewhere, would the government consider stepping in and shutting that industry down and, and, and uh, banning the this the renting of houseboats well what we're doing is engaging with them right now i think the city of Kelowna, the mayor up there and i know you're on the air at on 1550 right now and so uh businesses we're working with social influencers there we are um on it in Kelowna to um to engage with all of those people to make sure those things don't happen because i think if you think of downtown Kelowna and the people listening to us there i think a lot of the restaurants doing a really good job there and that's what interior health tells us and they're doing the inspections but um, if people are gathering together, and Kelowna is kind of a station for people who know each other, perhaps in Calgary and Vancouver, to meet uh, uh, in between those two places and to join with people in Kelowna, well, uh, when you go away, the rules still apply, and you have to show respect for the communities you're visiting. And that means uh, that will mean an increase in enforcement, maybe some changes in some of the rules to adjust um, for uh, for the what we're seeing out there because we just right. are going to have to continue to do that and all of those things. Okay, British Columbia has encouraged people to voluntarily, to a great degree, follow a lot of these guidelines and directions. I'm wondering, though, if these numbers that we've seen in the last few days would open up the possibility of the government getting tougher here, whether it's a mandatory mask rule. We've seen this in Ontario and Quebec, where uh, mandatory mask rules for indoor public gatherings, whether it's uh, decreasing the maximum size of people gathering together, it's 10 in Ontario. Is the government considering tougher restrictions like that, like a mandatory mask directive? Well, I, I think we have to do what's effective, and what's effective is uh, the strategies that Dr. Henry and the government and others have been following, and that people have been engaged in over time. And we've got to we've got to remind ourselves that we're still in a pandemic. So I don't I don't set aside new rules and so on, but we've got clear guidance now, 
and we just got to recommit ourselves to following it. And if we do, we're going to be able to flatten the curve. Uh, I think we're going to be able to flatten the curve. Nothing gets ruled out because right. we've got to make adjustments every day. You're going to see this week there are going to be small adjustments, but you're going to see small adjustments in the way rules are applied this week on the business side. But also it, this what, involves... What do you mean by that? Our, could, you, could you expand on that, well, please? What do you mean there? What I, what I mean is that uh, we, may, we may be looking at the issues we're looking at are hours of operation, ensuring that in uh, bars that are open under food licenses to ensure that distance is applied in those circumstances, to engage more significantly with resorts and uh, industries such as the resort industry, the houseboat industry, to ensure uh, responsibility for for what might be described ordinarily as private parties, which people wouldn't necessarily have been involved in regulating to enhance responsibility there. Those kind of changes to break up those kind of transmissions. And then a continuing effort, it seems to me, Mike, to communicate our message. I think right. the very discussion of what the nature of, the, of COVID-19 has been uh, feels like it excludes some people. And young people, it should be said, and our, and our results of our major survey yesterday showed this, have paid the price for COVID-19, perhaps more the economic price, lost jobs, more young people work in service industries. So young people are paying a significant price for COVID-19. And my message to everyone is this, our ability to flatten the curve is, is the key to all the other things we want to do. Uh, school and having visits in long-term care and reinstating surgery, that depends on all of us. And so we're going to continue to have a, a, a strong message because I believe, and Dr. Henry believes, that getting people to willingly join in is more effective in the long run than trying to apply rules. Speaking to BC Health Minister Adrian Dix, let me ask you about um, airport travel. We take a look at the records, and there were seven airplanes this month that landed at YVR that had people aboard that were positive for COVID-19. Are you concerned about air travel? I know you've expressed some concerns in the past about maybe opening up air travel too quickly and too many people on planes. When you take a look at some of those numbers with positive cases arriving at YVR, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it means two things, and there's two sets of responsibilities. Yes, it's important for the airlines uh, to enforce the rules and to properly screen. And yes, people have to take responsibility for not traveling when they're sick. And this can be difficult, and we've got to allow them to do this. But, you know, if you're planning to go to, you live in Toronto, you're planning to go to Vancouver, and you really want to go to visit your family or whatever, then you may uh, ignore it or say, well, this isn't serious. You can't travel when you're sick. It puts other people at risk. It puts you at risk. And these are things that we have to remind ourselves of because it's very challenging on a plane regardless of the rules, very challenging on a plane to ensure the physical distancing we need. That's why masks are required on planes, right, by the federal government in that case. But we have to ensure it's even more important that the airlines take responsibility for this, in our view that they do a better job of maintaining records of who's on the plane, so uh, uh, which is a key to contact tracing everywhere, and that people be very aware on planes and Everything they do, if you have to travel on a plane, if you have to, then everything becomes more important. The proper wearing of masks, the washing of the hands, the assurance of where you are. We've all got to be aware of our circumstances. And if we are, we can do all kinds of things, including travel around B.C., including uh, going to work, including all the things that we want to do. But, but that's going to require not just rules. Rules are important, okay. but we need 
a few rules that we all follow, and that's the strategy we're following in BC. Minister, thank you for taking the time today. Hey, anytime. Take care, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. This this is Mike Smith. Let's talk about yesterday's big announcement from the provincial government on regulations around vaping and the sale of vaping products. These are some sweeping regulations that the BC government brought in yesterday to restrict the content of vape products. They're putting a cap on the amount of nicotine in vape products, the flavor of vape juice, the packaging, the advertising, where you can buy vape products in British Columbia, all come covered in these sweeping reforms announced yesterday by the provincial government. Have a listen to this now. Here is BC Health Minister Adrian Dix speaking yesterday. Vaping is, of course, for some people, harm reduction. And if you are a lifetime smoker, it can have that impact. It can reduce the harm from smoking as an alternative. But if you are a young person, if you are under 19, it is not harm reduction. It is just harm. When, when people are addicted to nicotine, they are at the mercy of that nicotine, and we have to speak to that. Okay, it's Adrian Dix, the health minister, talking yesterday. Okay, let's speak to the vaping industry now. We've got an excellent panel lined up here for you. Sadiq Dea is on the line. He is the owner of Van Gogh Vapes. It is a wholesaling and distribution vaping company in Vancouver. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Sadiq, nice to talk to you again. Same here. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thank you for coming on. Samuel Tam is also on the line. Samuel is the president of the Canadian Vaping Association. Samuel, thank you. Michael, thanks for having me. Thanks, guys, to both of you. Samuel, uh, let me go to you first. You're the president of the uh, Industry Association in Canada. What do you think of the regulations that the B.C. government has brought in here? Uh, the, the Canadian Vaping Association, uh, you know, we definitely support the uh, British Columbia government's uh, regulation. I mean, We've seen across all provinces, uh, uh, all the the governments are moving forward with uh, regulation that uh, limits the exposure of vaping products to uh, to young persons, right? Uh, and uh, I think this is a step in the right direction when it comes to um, ensuring that adult flavors still continue to have access to flavors in adult only age restricted stores, but limiting them to uh, to channels where uh, you know uh, that is not age restricted. Um, there are definitely uh, technical aspects of the uh, regulation that uh, we need to address and work with the government on. Um, but overall, uh, it is a positive sign um, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, the, uh, the, that the, uh, the health minister not only addressed that, uh, you know, uh, the harm reduction opportunity that vaping brings, uh, it sends a positive message uh, that, uh, you know, vaping does play an important role uh, in smoking conversions. Okay, Samuel, what would be the biggest changes that people will notice out there for, for the typical consumer who maybe uh, buys vape products? What will the, be the biggest changes that they will notice? Like, will people still be, will you still be allowed to buy a vape product in a corner store or gas station? Uh, yes, you will be. Um, they will be limited to tobacco flavors, um, you know, and they won't be allowed to sell any uh, vaping products that have higher concentration uh, levels of nicotine over uh, 20 milligrams per milliliter. Right. Um, I think one of the, some of the key concerns the industry does have, of course, is the 2 milliliter tank capacity size, right? So uh, some of the things that uh, we will, uh, you know, to speak with the government about is because the federal regulations are mandating child-resistant containers. So 
this will pose a, a bit of a challenge uh, because the, go- the federal government is mandating this already and it's, it will be effective January 1st of 2021. So by limiting the tank capacity, we are going to run into an issue of how are we going to meet with the federal government requirements at the same time. Okay, let me let me uh, go to Sadiq Deya. He's the owner of Van Gogh Vapes in Vancouver. Sadiq, do you have any concerns about the regulations that were outlined by the government yesterday? I think I, I'm on the same page as Sam in regards to most of the um, most of the regulations that they've put out. They've really made a stance uh, stating that it is effective for some people, um, and, and and I think that by restricting flavors, so flavored vaping, uh, flavor any flavored vapes are no longer going to be available at non-age restricted locations. So uh, right, if they're right. a corner store, gas station, all that, they'll only be able to get tobacco flavors. Um, I think that this is effective in um, really driving the stop smoking crowd into the vape stores, and it restricts the youth from being exposed to potentially uh, flavors that may be enticing. I I think flavors are an extremely important part of the stop smoking aspect. Um, I do have concerns with the the, the tank size as well as the 30 mil bottle size. Uh, Currently, the industry standard is 60 mils. It is a step up from initially when they proposed the 10 mils. So I think that the 30 mil is, um, you know, at least a step in the right direction. But I think that um, personally, I don't know if it's necessary to really limit it to 30 mil versus 60 mil. It would just, if they need a a larger size, I think that it should be an available option at least till 60 mils. Sadiq, what do you think of the, um, the, the plain packaging requirements that the government rolled out yesterday, that vape products will have to have uh, just plain packaging uh, with a warning label on the packages? Are, are vape products typically sold like that now? Will that require a, a major adjustment in the industry? This is going to require a major adjustment because uh, currently we actually just finished relabeling um, to comply with federal standards and the plain packaging actually goes further than the federal standards. And so I think that it's a little bit of an issue and and, uh, there's a lot of similarities to the vaping industry versus to the, for example, the craft beer industry or any sort of craft industry where there's a lot of artistic expression and being in age-restricted locations, I I think that uh, the plain packaging isn't specifically required. Um, and it removes some of the, you know, I guess the, the creativity from the industry. It's one of the aspects, for example, I enjoy a lot from our, our industry. I think that the federal regulations are, have been pretty fair. You know, they've re- removed things like the candy images. We can't use characters, things like that. But colors and uh, fruits and stuff have been fine. If we go all the way to plain packaging, it will require us to have a, a different set of labels just specifically for B.C., Interesting. Samuel Tam, he's a president of the Canadian Vaping Association. Do you have similar concerns on the plain packaging requirement in BC? Absolutely, I do. Um, You know, I think we have to look at the federal regulations. The new regulations that was put out by the federal government, the vaping uh, products labeling packaging regulations, are already quite restrictive. I mean, we are almost close to plain packaging. If we look at the health warning that's required, um, you know, almost a third of the label is going to be the health warning. Then you've got the toxicity information uh, that needs to be present and the nicotine concentration level. So if we look at a 30 mil bottle size, we can already see all that information pretty much takes up the entire main display panel. So there isn't really a lot of room for creativity. Um, and I think one of the key things is, is really important for all levels of government to, uh, to, to understand is the federal government has put in place uh, a lot of restrictions, right? We Like what Sadiq mentioned, we cannot name certain um, flavors uh, under confectionery, desserts, candies, energy drinks, soft drinks, 
So there's no way uh, to make this product appealing to, to, to young people here in Canada. And given that you can't use characters, cartoons, any type of images, um, there isn't really a lot of space. And I think one of the key things that we will address on a technical side with, is to show uh, the BC government the templates uh, for the federal government. Um, there is really no room left for us to, to really uh, put anything on there. So I think we have to still meet the federal guidelines, uh, which the health warnings are, are key. So I, I think that we are going to talk about the plain package, and I think the federal government's already done a good job that we don't really, uh, there is really no room for, for plain packaging okay. on a 30 mil bottle. Sadiq, Sadiq Day uh, is, is the owner of Van Gogh Vapes. They're a vaping uh, distributor and wholesaler in Vancouver. Uh, I know that there, there have been some people in Canada who have argued that all vape flavors should be banned, period, completely. And I know that I have talked to adult smokers who have been able to kick tobacco and stop smoking cigarettes and transition to vaping, which I think is pretty much universally recognized to be safer than smoking tobacco. And I have a lot, a lot of adults have told me they like the flavors, that the flavors are one of the reasons that they switched and they were able to kick tobacco. Are, are you relieved that you will still be allowed in British Columbia to sell flavored vape products only in an age-restricted store and that they haven't, they haven't banned flavors outright? Yeah, I, th- I think that was a that was definitely a big relief. Flavor is definitely uh, one one of the biggest aspects. If you look at, we've been in the industry for a few years now, and um, in, in the industry, tobacco flavored vapes occupy a very small portion of the, uh, the, the the general public. You know, when they when they leave cigarettes, one of the things that they want to leave behind is the taste of tobacco. You know, the, they and uh, the flavors I find actually it, it, huge. You know, for, for myself, when I was switching over to vaping. It was. Um, it wasn't until I really found a flavor that resonated with me that it became extremely effective. And, you know, and everyone's different. You know, we that we have, for example, um, everything from you, you can. There's a whole variety of flavors, and to one person they might think it's disgusting. The next person will love it, and that will be their draw. So you're not only getting away from something you dislike, you're going towards something you like, and it really helps the transition. And then it helps them ease off the nicotine in the long run. Okay, Samuel, one more question for you, and then we'll take a break and take a few phone calls here. But one of the things that I'm interested in is the government taking a stand here to prevent youth vaping. We're seeing some disturbing statistics and trends of young people who are taking up vaping. We're hooking a whole new generation of kids on nicotine. As as a parent of teenage kids, it's a concern to me. And it's funny, when, when I mentioned to my son yesterday that the BC government were bringing in new rules around the sale of vape products and bringing in age-restricted stores and that kind of thing, he kind of chuckled a little bit and laughed, and he said, Dad, don't you realize that kids buy their vapes online? They don't go to a store. They buy online, and it's very easy to buy the vape products underage when you go online. Is that true? Is it, is it easy for kids to get a hold of vapes through the mail or online? Michael, that, that is currently true at the moment, um, and I think this is an issue we've already addressed to the federal government. I think what's important we need to identify is buying, buying these uh, products online in Canada is actually quite restrictive. There are federal regulations in place where vaping products are categorized as restrictive products, which means you have to ship through Canada Post to age verified. So uh, anyone that's a minor won't be able to get their package because they will have to show their ID. The federal government is also taking uh, with the new vaping promotions regulation is to have the industry to look into 
implementing age verification software, right? So there are software made available where you could use them to age verify the person at the point of purchase. The only issue what we can stop is, you know, having a, a young person buying a prepaid credit card and buying them from other international online stores, right? So right. such as, you know, fast tech or, you know, even in the United States, right? I think one of the key things that we, we need to address is the government needs to look at, um, you know, restricting the borders for all these non-compliant products coming as the industry is paving the way to meet the federal and all provincial requirements that the, the issue is really non-compliant and products that are being purchased internationally. I think if you're an adult, uh, there's no doubt, um, you know, you can, you can purchase vaping products online. But I think that the key things right now is uh, nothing stops, uh, you know, a young person getting a prepaid card, credit card and buying them from overseas, right? Okay. That, is a, that is an issue we need to address. Okay, guys, I'll jump in there. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with my guest, Sadiq Dea, Van Gogh Vapes, Samuel Tam, President, Canadian Vaping Association. We're talking about the restrictions and rules that the B.C. government brought in yesterday on the vaping industry. Now, let's open the phone lines. Phone me and tell me if you believe that youth vaping, youth vaping is a big problem in British Columbia. Do you support the government, what they're doing here? Uh, and have you kicked, were you able to kick smoking, kick smoking cigarettes by transitioning to vaping instead? I'd love to hear from you on that. Phone me right now. Here's the number, 604-280-9898 is the number, 604-280-9898, star 9898, toll free on your cell. This is Mike Smith, back with your calls. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about the COVID-19 numbers in British Columbia and the numbers yesterday showing a spike. Uh, some of these numbers among the biggest that we've seen in months with 102 new cases reported yesterday. Now, that is a three-day total, but it does include the highest single-day number, 51 cases confirmed on Saturday. Another thing that is really jumping out Yesterday was some of the language that was used by Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry saying that British Columbia is on the edge, as she put it here. Also, that the potential for explosive growth of the virus is uh, looming in British Columbia. Let's talk about this now with my guest, Dr. Brian Conway. He's a medical director at the Vancouver Infectious Diseases Center. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Dr. Conway, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me back. What, what went through your mind when you heard those numbers yesterday and some of the, uh, some of the language used by Dr. Henry? Well, I'm extremely concerned. We knew when phase three of reopening was announced for July 1st that there would be an increase in the number of cases because of the increased number of interpersonal contacts in the community. But these numbers are distinctly uncomfortable and reflect the fact that I think people are just not understanding that this is the new normal, the better normal, not the old normal, and still at phase three. Yeah, for sure, especially when you take a look at some of the uh, the comments from the provincial health officer, also the uh, health minister, Adrian Dix. Now, Dr. Conway, I spoke to Adrian Dix on the show this morning, and I want to play a clip here for you. This is Adrian Dix speaking to me this morning, and we talked about possible restrictions being brought in in British Columbia, especially where some of these cases are, are occurring. Have a listen. Here's uh, Adrian Dix this morning. And we're going to have to adjust as well. Uh, Mike, you know, people ask, well, are you going to pull back and do different things? Right. Uh, I think we have to adjust as well. We got to see where cases are happening. For example, private parties or houseboats. And 
act in those areas, maybe increase enforcement and engagement in those areas. With more people, 20 to 30, perhaps in most jurisdictions in North America now, uh, getting COVID-19 more than they were. We have to look at those populations as well. A lot of our discussion in the last few months has been about long-term care and about uh, our elders and their vulnerability. Okay, it's Adrian Dick speaking to me this morning. Dr. Conway, what do you think about that? Do you think the government should be cracking down here with some of these warning signs out there? I think we should do two things first. I think we need to make masks more normal. I think people should always have on their person a mask to put on if personal distancing is not possible. If I was a clothes designer, I would be making pockets, places where you can put your mask, even match it to the clothes themselves. Make masks normal. I think this is an important first step. The other thing is the positive message of what phase three is allowing us to do. And I think this will attract the attention of the people that are now getting infected. Rather than telling them what they can't do, tell them what they can do and how enjoyable it can be. And in that context, make sure that we can still trace all of the cases and consider other sanctions and negative interventions if these things don't work. Right. You heard Adrian Dix there highlight a couple of things. He talked about young people. He talked about private parties. He talked about houseboats, very popular summer activity in the interior in the Okanagan. And that's where we've seen some of these outbreaks traced, especially in Kelowna, what they're calling a community exposure event in in Kelowna, traced to a couple of resorts there, some private parties attended by young people. Can you comment a little bit on just how fast this virus can spread because the government has talked about two parties there in Kelowna with 60 confirmed cases. This thing can, this virus can spread quickly. Oh, this really, this really concerns me. If people are close together, particularly indoors, if they are close together for a long time, if alcohol is involved and if extenuating circumstances exist, if you're Shouting over music and getting very close to people, you do so repeatedly for a long time. This is exactly the formula for very rapid transmission of the viral infection. And it sounds as if this is exactly what occurred. And we have to tell people there's many ways in which you can enjoy and enjoy phase three, but this is not one of them. Okay, yeah, the government clearly indicating they're concerned about this and certainly not ruling out. Uh, cracking down harder here if we continue to see a spike in these cases. Have a listen to this here now. This is uh, Adrian Dick speaking to me once again this morning, and we talked about something that you just mentioned, and that's masks. And we've seen mandatory mask orders in other provinces, notably Ontario and Quebec. And I asked him whether British Columbia might bring in a mandatory mask order, and uh, have a listen to what he said here. I think we have to do what's effective. And what's effective is uh, the strategies that Dr. Henry and the government and others have been following and that people have been engaged in over time. And we've got to, we've got to remind ourselves that we're still in a pandemic. So I don't, I don't set aside new rules and so on, but we've got clear guidance now and we just got to recommit ourselves to following it. And if we do, we're we're going to be able to flatten the curve. Uh, I think we're going to be able to flatten the curve. Nothing gets ruled out because we've got to make adjustments every day. You're going to see this week, they're going to be small adjustments, but you're going to see small adjustments in the way rules are applied this week on the business side. Okay, small adjustments to business operations coming this week, according to the minister. And you heard him say there, Dr. Conway asked him about mandatory masks. He said nothing is ruled out. We've seen other jurisdictions do it. Do you think BC should do that? I think we're very close. I think what will determine whether we do it or not is that we have 
increasing community-based transmission, and we cannot trace all of the contacts. This is telling us that we're not doing a good enough job in the community as individuals of preventing transmission of infection. And then we have to say, well, if we aren't doing it with the current measures, the next measure is we got to wear masks. And I think that's yeah. the natural thing that we need to think of next. Yeah, if you take a look at some of the polling, there was interesting polling this week from and the Angus Reid polling company about the number of Canadians who are wearing masks. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a minority of people who are wearing them voluntarily right now. But if you ask Canadians, how would you respond to a mandatory mask order? Most Canadians, a very large majority of Canadians will say, I'm cool with that. I'm fine with it. If they want to bring in a mandatory rule in, com in my community, I will follow the rule. So it just seems like more Canadians are willing to mask up, especially if they're told to, not just as a suggestion. Your thoughts? Well, I think that's a very interesting uh, poll. Uh, if people are waiting to be told to wear masks uh, before they, they will, well, yeah. then let's, uh, let's consider doing this. I think the key thing here is wearing a mask. You're not saying goodbye to freedom. You're saying goodbye to germs. And if we view this, that we're still in a pandemic, as Minister Dix just said, Let's just, let's just, you know, enjoy what we can do. And if it makes it safer and easier and more comfortable while we're wearing a mask, get one of these designer masks that are out there. If a rule is needed in the short term and Canadians will respond better to that than just being sort of encouraged to wear a mask, then that's something that we should seriously consider sooner rather than later. Speaking of Dr. Brian Conway, he's the medical director at the Vancouver Infectious Diseases Centre. What are your thoughts on the summertime and the nice weather here and we've got beautiful weather here and right now on the bc coast and in the past i remember a lot of people thinking well when the summer rolls around maybe the covid cases will go down maybe there'll be less transmission of the virus if people are, are gathering outside instead of indoors but i wonder if it might have the opposite effect that we're, we've seen a flattening of the curve or a bending down of the curve for weeks on end Suddenly, the nice summertime is here. People are letting their guard down, feeling pretty a little bit more confident about the situation, maybe getting a little bit more loose around the rules and getting together with friends for parties or barbecues or houseboats. Uh, maybe the summer could uh, could produce an, an uptick in in the COVID nineteen cases. Your thoughts? Well, it clearly is. Yeah, it clearly is producing a, an uptick. I think that outdoors is better than indoors, but we still need to stay two meters away from each other. We still need to wear masks. If that distance is not able to be maintained, we need to tell people when we're sick. All of these things still apply. Going outdoors is not giving you a justification for sitting right next to someone for several hours. People need to understand, I need to understand, you need to understand, we all do. What is the new normal? Let's enjoy it and let's make the curve go down again and then build on this. I think that I was in Whistler this weekend and I saw a lot of people having a lot of fun two meters away from each other. And I think that's what we need to embrace. Uh, as we continue talking about the spike in COVID-19 cases in British Columbia, my guest is Dr. Brian Conway, Medical Director, Vancouver Infectious Diseases Centre. Lots of calls. Let's get right to them. Benita calling from Arrington on Vancouver Island. Hi there. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking Hi. my call and sure. the doctor. Um, oh, cool. I, I would like to, us to go back to Phase 2. I don't think that as a, as a society here that we're mature enough to do a stage three, and it's becoming quite evident that we're not. 
Um, and I would also like to see mandatory masks. Um, it's not a big deal, people. And I'm noticing that sometimes when people are wearing their masks, they think that they don't have to social distance. Uh, so that's I, I'm seeing a lot okay. of that as well. Also, okay. I just read that over on the border of Alberta there, they got a big spike a couple yep. of days ago. And now I'm starting to see a whole bunch of plates out here, man. Okay, so if we went back to phase two, what would be the biggest impact? That What would that mean? Closing the restaurants again? What else would shut down, do you think? Are you asking me, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering what you oh. think should what do you think should uh, be shut down? Well, I think we just opened it up way too fast. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the airlines and, um, uh, you know, maybe just go back to, like, takeout at a restaurant. No, 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 no going uh. in there anymore. And, and you know, I, I, it, we did it too soon, Mike. And it's, 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 this is a really serious thing. And if we don't grab it by the reins, we're going to be in trouble. And one other comment, just I really yeah. respect Dr. Bonnie Henry Horgan and um, da, 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 Adrian Dix. Um, yes, yeah. for what they are doing. But yeah. I'm, I'm finding, I'm, you had a caller on uh, on the last segment saying that she's got to get tough. She's, she's, she's. She's a really nice woman, and she knows what she's doing, but she's she's got to get tough. Okay, Benita, thank uh, you for a good thank you for a good call. I appreciate that, Doctor Conway. I mean, we're we're hearing a little bit of that. I mean, some people think that maybe she's been too tough, but others uh, I've heard a few calls today saying maybe we should get we should get tougher. What do you think? I mean, the, the, the approach from Doctor Bonnie Henry in the past has been she wants people to buy into this stuff voluntarily, and it's been successful so far. But maybe she does have to get tougher. Your thoughts? Well, I think we'll have to get tough if we have uncontrolled community-based transmission. I think for now, we've had a very good run since the beginning of the pandemic, and we need to make masks more normal, as the caller said. Yeah, but what about mandatory masks? Do we need to go that far? I think we're close. It, yeah. I think the survey that you mentioned that people yeah. uh, are want, want to be forced to wear a mask, and then they will. If that's what we need to do, at least in the short term, that's great. But we need to have a long-term strategy, and I think that forcing people to wear masks at all times doesn't strike me as a long-term strategy if they haven't bought into it without uh, without being uh, so prescriptive. Let's go to Ricky on the open line in, on Vancouver Island. Hi. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. Good. One of the biggest issues I have is I just find it ridiculous how everybody is so ready to throw Dr. Bonnie Henry on their shoulders and say how she's amazing, the greatest thing that's ever happened. We're so far nowhere near close to our way through this thing. All that I think of is uh, when the, in 1987 when the Oilers figured they had the Stanley Cup one, oh, but then in the semis, Steve Smith scored on his own net. That's kind of what I think is going to happen with Dr. Bonnie Henry. Is everybody going to throw under the bus once we realize, oh, my God, we're in the same position that Seattle's in in November kind of thing? Like, come on, let's eye on the prize. We're nowhere near done yet. Stop praising someone who's just telling us to wash our hands and brush our teeth. Like, okay. really? Okay, Ricky, thank you for the call. Well, I don't know. I mean, British Columbia's success in bending down the transmission rate of this virus has been pretty darn good to this point. Now, we've seen some troubling numbers here in the last few days, and I don't know. I think this is a government that is uh, is willing to bring the hammer down if that's required, and uh, we, we heard some uh, indications of that from the health minister this morning. Let's go to another phone call here. Tim in Langley. Hiya, Tim. Hey, uh, Mike. How are you doing? Hi. Good. Yeah, look, I'm immune-compromised, so I really have to pay attention to this stuff. 
And and I take my hat off to Dr. Henry because she gave us a chance to be adults. And uh, yeah. obviously yeah. we're failing. And a, real, a, a good example of, of both the corporate and the individual is Costco used to really regulate the, the amount of people coming in. And then they had the yelling lady. I loved her. She'd yell at you if you got too close. Now it's just wide open. I wear my mask more now than I did uh, in phase one. Uh, it's it's yeah. getting bloody terrible out there. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, I'm wearing the mask now, too. I keep the mask in my car, and if I go into a store or a shopping, uh, shopping mall or a grocery store, I mask up. I put the mask on, and I'll tell you, my, my, my son influenced me on that. He works in a grocery store. And he said, look, Dad, when I'm dealing with a customer, I appreciate it when they have a mask on. I started masking up, and I use it when I go into a store now. Anderson on the open line in Surrey. Hi. Hi there. Hi. I'm 70 years old, and, you know, I recall with distinction and with fondness the day that I was told to wear a seatbelt because it could save my life. Well, you know, this, this is not a seatbelt. When seatbelts first came in, they were optional, and then they became semi-optional, then they became law, and now you get a hefty fine for not wearing one. Right. Nothing works. Nothing works until you take and put teeth into it. Okay, and thanks. Thank you for the call. Dr. Conway, your thoughts there? Well, I think we're very close. I think we need yeah. to get people to normalize mask wear, and yeah. if rules uh, mandating their use in the short term will help us get there, then that's certainly something that needs right. to be considered. Mr. Dix really seems to want to go that way also. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for your great work over at the uh, Infectious Diseases Center. Appreciate it. Let's go out there and be safe. I have a mask that says, not today, germs. So I want to hear <laughs> like what, what, uh, what innovative mask some of your other uh, callers have. Perhaps you can uh, deal with that uh, later on.